everybody glad to be here today? Okay, good, good, because I'm glad, and I'll be more glad if I know you're glad. So you're glad to be here? All right. Would you stand with me as we start this, this uh, yeah, it's still morning, just barely. I was, uh, I was moved by that second, well, all the worship today, but that second song, it says, oh, the cross of Jesus Christ is the reason I'm alive. Is that the reason you're alive today? Do you, we know as followers of Jesus that before the cross, we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our sins, but because of what Jesus did for us, we are alive. And church, I know life is weird right now. I know COVID stinks. We're all tired of it. There's so much going on that we can be stressed out about and worried about. But today we are in the house of the Lord, and there is reason for us to worship. There is reason for us to be excited about what he's done in our life. Amen? All right. So I just want to set the stage. I'm not here today to preach to you and you guys sit on your hands and watch me, okay? There are things that I'm going to say today. When I talk about the Word of God, there's things in the Word of God. When we talk about the Word of God, it elicits a response, okay? We're Pentecostals. Let's act like it, amen? All right. And we don't have to go nuts. I'm not saying run the aisles and jump over pews, but I don't want you sitting there and just staring at me either. I'm not here to preach to you. We're, we're doing this together, okay? We're excited about who God is and what he's done in our life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I pray by the end of this time today, you will be, because he is the best decision you'll ever make, to give your life to him and to live for him. There's nothing better out there in all the world, nothing better. He's better than finding out COVID is gone. Amen? Amen. I'd rather do life with COVID with Jesus than without COVID without Jesus. So let's rejoice in that today. We are in a series. It is called Some Assembly Required. And it's all about community. We've been talking about the nuts and bolts of community, the importance of community, and frankly, the fact that God sees it as something important, that means we need to take it seriously. And so we're taking a whole month to talk about community, and I hope you guys have enjoyed it. And uh, we've had a text verse we've been using this whole month because we feel like it exemplifies what community is. And uh, since you're already standing, I'm not going to ask you to stand again because that wouldn't make any sense. So we're going to read out of Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. These are the words of Paul in his letter to the Romans. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Everyone say, each member belongs to the others. We belong to each other. There is no place in the Christian life for isolation. Not only is there no place for it, it's not good for us. The reason Paul said this was because it is better if we are together. So we've been talking about the why of community. We talked about um, what we give, what we bring. Today we're talking about what we get. We're going to be a little self-serving today, amen? All right, well, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence in this place. God, we thank you that we have something to rejoice about. No matter what goes on in this world, the only reason we're here and the only reason we're alive is because of your cross. And we thank you for it today, God. We thank you for it, Lord. Thank you that we are crucified with you. We no longer live, but you live in us. And we pray that your word would manifest in our lives today and that you would do your work in our hearts in this short time we have left. And it's all for your glory and for your praise, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's children said, amen. Before you're seated, look at somebody and say, I'm going to get something out of this. All right. So up until now, this series we've been doing, it's been mostly about what you bring to community, what you give and, and your role in community and why it's important that you're part of the body of Christ and that you're active and that you're healthy and that you're helping community to grow and be prosperous. Well, today, as I said, we're going to talk about what you get from community. So what the perks that actually will, are awaiting you as a member of a body of Christ, as a, a member of a community, as a, as a uh, participating, invested, connected member of God's community. There's a lot of blessings that come from it. And uh, I'm going to give you a few of them today. How many of you know that our Heavenly Father likes to give us good gifts? He absolutely gives us good things. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, If you, though evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more does your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So we're going to ask him today for some good gifts. One of the biggest gifts, one of the best gifts he gives us as followers of Jesus is community. It's one of the best gifts, gifts we get. And it's such a blessing to be able to be part of it. And it is for you. Community is for you and it's for me. There's no one that is meant to be excluded from community once you're in the fellowship of believers, once you're in the body of Christ. 
It's important for all of us. And, you know, we're taking a whole month to talk about community here. It may seem excessive to some of you that we would take a whole, this is even a five-Sunday month, that we'd take a whole five-Sunday to talk about community. But we believe in it wholeheartedly. We believe that the, that the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And let me clarify, we believe that Jesus in the church of Jesus is the hope of the world. But Jesus uses us to be his light. And so it's so important that we are a healthy, uh, thriving, vibrant community. Because if we're not, we're actually repellent to the world. They don't, they don't, want, to, they don't want to be part of a church body that is not healthy. Nobody wants to be part of a church body that's not healthy, of anybody that's not healthy. But when we are healthy, and you see it, when you see churches that are really healthy, people are drawn to it, like a moth to the flame. And that's what we're called to be. And not only that, as Christians in the body, the community is made for us because it helps us even in our own lives. You know, we're not meant to do this life alone as a follower of Jesus. We're not meant to do it alone. We're not even meant to do it with just a select few. We're meant to do it as part of a community. It's absolutely God's intention that we would be part of a community. You know, the Bible tells us that we are sheep. You know, and how many of you know the Bible is intentional about everything it says? It wasn't like Jesus just picked some random animals, happened to see a sheep there. He's like, hey, you guys are sheep. He knew what he was talking about. And sheep travel in flocks, in herds, right? In fact, if you see a sheep by himself or herself, chances are he's lost. Not only that, chances are he's also going to become a meal for a wolf or some other enemy. That'll actually preach. We're, not, we're supposed to be part of a community. God has designed it that way. Because we even know if there is somebody here today, which I hope there is, people here that don't even, wouldn't even say Jesus is their Lord and Savior. We hope that you're here. You're welcome here. But we also want our prayer and our hope, the, the prayer we have for you is that you would give your life to Jesus because he's worth it. But those of us here that are followers of Jesus, we know that if you do that today, that if you don't get connected to the community, the body of Christ, the chances of that faith sticking and sustaining in your life is very slim. Have to be connected to the body. So we all understand that. That's why we're here today, right? We understand the importance of being connected to the body. Jesus talked about the vine and the branches in John 15. He says that he is the vine, we are the branches. Now that's an illustration of him being the source and that we have to stay connected to him because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the main illustration he's given from that analogy. But it also exemplifies community. He's talking about community there because he says that he's the vine, we're the branches. There's more than one of us. So we are in groups, we are multiple connected to him in the body. And you know if there's a, a branch connected to the vine that's healthy, that branch will also sprout off other branches and that there will be fruit on that branch. And the healthier the branch, the more fruit. So the healthier the community, the more fruit we will have in our individual lives too. We get to reap the benefits of being part of a healthy community. It's actually a very simple concept, right? It's just not always simple to do because we're human beings and we are selfish and we are self-seeking and we have sins that easily entangle us that sometimes take control in our life. Anytime there's humans involved, it's going to be a challenge, but it is worth the fight to be connected and to be part of community. But see, if we don't understand that, then community for us as, as believers just becomes something that meets a need in a moment. Like if I get up in the morning and not really connected to the body, but, you know, I feel, a, I feel like, yeah, today's a good day. I think I'll, I'll go to church today, you know, not, but just come and kind of show up but not really be part, not be known or be connected. It, it, it's based on just how I feel in the moment. And so if we don't have a necessity, if we don't understand the necessity of being part of the body, then it's just based on an emotional need in a moment. And we go, we, just, we go in and out of community constantly based on our emotions or maybe there's a need that we feel drawn or we're hurting and so we do feel drawn, which is good. But then when things are going well, we kind of pull back, you know? Because Jesus talks about in, in Matthew, or uh, John 15, we're talking about the vine and the branch. He's talking about God does some pruning too. God prunes those that are unhealthy so that the ones that are there can be healthy. There's probably been some pruning going on in the last nine months too, right? I mean, the churches aren't near as full as they used to be. And I'm not saying that everybody that's not here has been pruned. There's people watching online today, and we're thankful for you guys, and we're, we're thankful to be able to do that. There's some people that literally cannot be here yet. That's okay. But there are some that could that just choose not to. There maybe was some pruning going on, and that's okay. Maybe they'll come back and be part of the body again and be healthy. But if God's doing the pruning, then we've got to be okay with that because pruning is always to make the body healthier. 
And we want to be part of the healthy, not part that gets cut off. Amen? I know I don't. I want to be the healthy. I want to be part that's connected to the vine and healthy. So I'm going to build a case for you today of the blessings of community. I'm going to do it with a story out of Luke. Uh, it's actually in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, I'm going to take it out of Luke 5. But it's the story of the guys that brought the paralytic to Jesus to be healed. And uh, Jesus is, is in a house. Uh, most people think it was actually Peter's house. And he's teaching. And his, his fame is spreading. His, his popularity is skyrocketing at this point. He just healed a leper, I think a little earlier in the day or maybe earlier in that week. And uh, people are loving Jesus and wanting to be around him because they're hearing some really cool stuff about him. So this house is packed full of people. And so we're going to pick up the story in Luke 5, verse 18. It's a lengthy passage. I'm going to read all the way to 26, but it's worth it. So hang with me. It says, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them. Praise God took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Praise God. That is one of the most beautiful stories in all the Bible to see how that whole, whole thing transpired and the, and the tenacity of this guy's friends to get him in front of Jesus. And Jesus not only healing him physically, but he also forgave him of his sins. And I would, uh, I would ask you guys today, do you see yourself in this story? I think there's, there's a lot of different characters in this story. There's the, the guy on the mat that was paralyzed. You know, I think sometimes we're that person. Uh, not necessarily a physical paralysis, but there's a lot of things that can paralyze us in life and keep us from being able to get to Jesus. Lots of things. The sin that easily entangles that I mentioned. The fear, anxiety, worry, unforgiveness, hatred, discord, jealousy. All these things that can keep us from Jesus. Sometimes that's us. Or maybe you're the guy that was one of the guys carrying the mat that was helping someone else get to Jesus. Or maybe you're one of the people in the crowd that's just standing there watching, don't really have a dog in the fight. And maybe you never really trusted Jesus. Maybe you're one of the religious people that were there that was being skeptical and being, if anything, being more of a hindrance than a help. Maybe you're nowhere near this house because the thought of being in a house with people shoulder to shoulder gives you a panic attack. There's probably more of that here than, than we would like to admit, huh? But chances are we were one of these people, and when I look at it, I think of myself, and I think I was, I've pretty much been all of those people at one time or another. You know, life is about seasons, and we go through seasons in life, and depending on the season, we would be a different person in a different time of life. And I got, there's three really great takeaways from this passage that, talks, that, that help us see what we can get from community. Okay, and I'm going to give you these three things today. The first one is divine friction. Divine friction. And I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, you said this is going to be about what we get, the good things we get out of community, you're pulling a bait and switch here. But I'm not. Friction gets a bad rap and it can have a negative connotation, but not always. Friction is actually very, very important. It's a very good thing in life. In fact, if there was no friction, you could not walk. If you didn't have friction between the bottom of your shoes and the ground, there's no walking. Even, even on ice, when there's some friction but not much, it's very difficult to walk. Imagine if there was zero and you couldn't drive a car. Your car would slide off the road if there was no friction between the tires and the road. You couldn't write if there's no friction between your pencil and the paper, which I know none of us write anymore. We just type on a phone. But you couldn't even hold a cell phone without friction. Oh, the horror. What would we do? I don't think we could get out of bed in the morning. We have to have friction in life, right? Has to be some friction. And James even tells us in his book of the Bible, that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. The trials we go through in life, the friction we have in life, the resistance that we have in life produces things in our life, produces, brings good things 
into our life. So friction is actually a good thing if our heart is in the right place. It has, it's a good thing. And friction isn't always some strong tension of people really get, not getting along. I mean, marriage has tons of friction, and I get along very well with my wife. There's, just, there's resistance all the time because we are selfish, because we want what we want when we want it. As we grow, we hopefully do a better job of not always living to please ourselves, but that is the innate, natural instinct that we have is to take care of ourselves. So there's going to be friction, but it is needed because in Proverbs 27, 17, which I've shared this verse in the last few weeks too, but it bears repeating. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You have to have more iron than just one piece to make that iron sharp. You cannot do it any other way. And the Bible's telling us we are just like that. We have to have people. And the way to have that is to have community, is to be together with people. And I don't have to see it written down word for word in the Bible to know that there was friction between this man and his friends and the people in the house and the religious leaders. There was friction there. In fact, you know, if you know the, uh, the, the times when Jesus was on the earth, people that were disabled were generally considered to be being judged by God because of sin in their life or sin in their parents' life. You know, it was generational. But there was something wrong, and that's why you're like that. So there wasn't necessarily a ton of compassion. There wasn't even necessarily a lot of, like, wanting to take care of them. They were, they were kind of outcasts, and they were looked down upon. They weren't even, nobody felt sorry for them. It was like they were judged, like, you're this way because of your own sin. And so they weren't taken care of very well. And so if these guys were in this man's life up until this point, you know there was some friction and tension there. And this man was probably discouraged maybe even depressed. If he lived this way his whole life, we don't know. But if he did, if he'd lived this way his whole life up to now, he was completely discouraged and hopeless because there's just no hope because he just didn't have, he wouldn't have had the money to even get the doctor to fix him if it was even possible at that time. And so there was friction there. And then they get to the house, they finally get to the house and they can't get in the door because it's full of people. And don't you know that the people standing at the door, you know, they looked over their shoulder and saw this guy coming with Four of his friends on a mat. They could have moved aside and said, oh yeah, the healer's in there. You guys need to get in. Hey, make way. Get this guy in there. They could have moved everybody out of the way. They didn't. It says they couldn't get in. Chances are it was probably the religious leaders, the religious folk, the Pharisees that were standing there like, no, 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 you ain't getting, no, no, no. You just stay back there where you belong. You're that way because God's judging you because of your sin, you stinker. How many of you know sometimes the religious and the religion can keep us from getting to Jesus? We don't need to be religious because when we're religious, we keep people from getting to Jesus. We're not religious. This isn't a religion. This is a relationship, a love relationship we have with Jesus. And if we have a love relationship with Jesus, we're one of the ones carrying him on the mat. We're not the ones standing at the door saying, get back. You can't get in here. Don't be the religion that keeps people from getting to Jesus that really need him. Let's be the ones that are taking a corner of the mat and bringing them to Jesus no matter what, because nobody is too far from Jesus. Nobody has sinned too much to disqualify themselves from the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Every one of us has needed it every second of every day of our life, and we will until we see him face to face. Amen? Praise God. We don't want to get in the way. So there was friction, but, you know, this friction revealed how much faith these guys had. Because if they were just like, you know, if they were like, well, we'll see what happens, you know, we're probably not going to be able to make it, but let's go. And they just got there in the door, there was too many people, they'd be like, sorry, guy, we tried. Let's go back home. Let's, let's go play some horseshoes or something. But it says, no, they actually went up on the roof. That shows their faith. Because if they didn't have any faith, they would have said, well, we're not, what are we going to do? And there was most likely there were stairs on the outside of the house. It was very common back then to have stairs go up to their roof because the roof was flat. They went up to the roof, cut a hole in the roof, lowered them down to Jesus. The, the friction that they had to deal with showed their faith, and it was revealed in that moment, and they were rewarded for it. Friction is absolutely God's plan for us. In fact, I would go as far as to say we can't get to where God wants us to be without friction in our life. We can't get there. So that being said, we need to be even intentional and educated in this when we pray because we don't always need to pray that God would just make everything smooth for us that just smooth as glass, that we can just get there and there's no problems, no bumps in the road, no nothing. That's not how we need to pray. What we need to pray is to say, God, I know there's going to be friction. Show me your perspective in the friction. 
Show me your perspective in the resistance that I'm getting and how you want me to deal with it because I want this test, I want this trial, I want this resistance in my life to produce character. I want it to produce perseverance so that I will not back down so that I'll cut a hole in a roof if I have to to get to you. So that's how we should be praying. Not, God, just make everything go perfect. Man, I, I'll know it's you if I, if, if I go in there into work tomorrow and I demand for a raise and he says, yes, sir, I'll give it to you right away. That's how I'm going to know it's you. That's not how it works. Not always. Sometimes it does. Praise God for that. But that's not, we can't let that be the sum total of how we approach our relationship with Jesus. Because he uses the friction. He brings friction in our life. And godly friction comes in community. Ungodly friction is not good. But godly friction in, a, in, the, in the body of Christ can be a very, very good thing that can be used for the glory of God and for our good. And it's meant to fuel our faith. Which brings me to my second point, which is something we get from community is borrowed faith. Anybody ever heard that term before? I promise it's not heresy. I'm going to explain it. You ever been in a situation in your life where you know the Word of God, you know what it says about your situation, but you just can't get yourself to believe it? Where you have a situation, whether it's a, a relationship issue, your marriage is falling apart, your kids are far from God, you have a financial issue where you have debt you don't know how you're going to pay, something is going on in your life, you have a health issue, you just can't, you don't know how that's going to go because the doctor's giving you a bad report. And you know what the Word says. You know the Word says that nothing is impossible with God, that all things are possible for him who believes. You know the Bible says that he works the good in all situations for those who love him. You know Jeremiah 29, 11 that says, my plans for your good to give you hope and a future, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. You know that the Bible says that nothing can separate you from his love. You know that Jesus said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. You know that he is good, that his name is faithful, that his name is true, that nothing is too difficult for him. You know all those things, but yet doubt is ruling the day. Nobody has, you don't have to put your head down or not make eye contact with me because there is not a person in this room that has not felt that way. And in a room this size, there's a bunch of us that feel that way today. And there's no condemnation for that. But there are just times we just can't get, we can't get this in our heart because there's just something blocking it. And it doesn't mean you're not a super Christian. It doesn't mean, oh, if I just love Jesus more, I would never, it doesn't mean that at all. The most dedicated, devoted followers of Jesus have moments of doubt. It's just, it's just there. But these are the times that community works the best, where it functions the best for us, because you know what? We can borrow faith. We can borrow faith sometimes. And I promise you today that this paralytic, this guy that was disabled, he had all kinds of doubts. He had all kinds of doubts. You just know from the, 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 uh, the season that they were in, the, the time and society that they were, that how disabled people were looked at, you know he had doubts. You know he was discouraged. You know that he, especially when they got to the door, and maybe he had some hope because his friends were like, listen, we're going to get you there. And he said, okay, well, let's do it. And he, he mustered up enough hope to get, to get going. They took him to the door, and they saw they couldn't get in the house. Any hope he had at that point was probably gone. And you've been there too. Maybe you're there right now where you're in a season of, where, you're, where doubt is just always rearing its head in your, in your life, like every day. And you wake up the next morning and you're like, okay, I got some hope for today. Jesus, I know today's going to be a better day than yesterday. I'm believing for it. I'm, I'm believing for it. And by the time breakfast is over, it's squashed. And doubt is right back there again. And it's just running the day. It's, it's leading every emotion, everything you do that day, it has its way. And that's exactly what happened to this, to this man on the cot or on the mat when they could not get in the door. But these friends were there to be his faith for him in a respect. These friends said, it's okay, man. We're going to get you in this house. They said, you don't have to have faith. We're going to have faith for you. And they took him and they got him up on the roof and they got him down and they put him right down in front of Jesus. And so what community does for us, when we have those moments that we can't get in front of Jesus because our doubt won't, just won't let us get there, we need people in community that will take us and will be relentless to get us in front of Jesus. And that's exactly what these guys did. And I can prove it to you. Look what it said in verse 20. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, everyone say their, their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Okay? 
So he forgave his sins first, and then you know from the passage that he eventually healed him physically as well. But he, he addressed them corporately. He said, he said he saw their faith. So he saw all their faith, but then he just addressed the one friend. He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And he's saying, because of the faith of all you guys, Jesus saw their faith, he said, sins are forgiven. That man borrowed their faith for that moment. Amen. Now listen, let me be very clear here, because I don't want to be in heresy. We don't borrow faith to get to heaven, okay? There's no such thing as riding someone's coattails of faith to get into heaven. We have to have our own faith. This is situational. This is for a moment as a follower of Jesus when you're just struggling, and you're just in doubt, and you just can't muster it up. And you need someone else to encourage you. But you know what happens when we're, when we're transparent? Because none of this happens if you're not transparent. This guy couldn't hide his physical disability, but we can hide our emotional ones all the time. When I'm struggling with one of those things I'm talking about, finances, relationship, physical, emotional, whatever it is, I can put my facade up on a Sunday and come to church. Praise God, hallelujah, everything's good. I know how to go through the motions. But, and if we keep our pride up, and we're not going to let people really see, then it's not going to do anything for us. But as we're transparent and open, we can see and we share in the proper setting what the situation is, and you're doubting and you're downcast, and you start talking to your friends, they're like, well, God did this for me six months ago, and they can do the same for you. And you start to see their faith, they're like, we're going to pray for you, we're going to believe with you. Next thing you know, you're going, oh yeah, maybe it can happen. And you're encouraging each other, and you're borrowing their faith to get the miracle that you need from God. This is beautiful. Absolutely. If there's no other reason to be part of community, a part of the body of Christ, this is good enough for me. But we have to be willing to open ourselves up to others as well. Look what it said in Hebrews 10 and 24. We've shared this verse a couple times over the last month too. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us consider how we could spur one another on. This is about letting somebody see your faith and letting it encourage them. My faith can encourage you in this moment, and, and a year from now, I might need your faith to encourage me. Yes. We go through these seasons. We go through ups and downs in life. I've never seen anybody just riding up here all, all the time. Yeah. Life is about hills and valleys. And we need, we need community in the valleys, and they need us when we're on the top. Yeah. And that's what we're here for. I uh, wanted to give you a little testimony today about community. And uh, I've asked Jess, Jessica Hayes to come and, and share just for a moment because she's been connected to a community here for quite some time. She's been very involved, and she could probably relate to uh, a lot of the people in this story as well. And so, uh, and she's been dealing with some things in her life right now. So I've asked her to come and share just for a moment. Would you make her welcome? And I'm just going to kind of interview her here briefly and have her share. Uh, Jess, I just wanted you to talk about community and how it's been important for you and how it's impacted your faith. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a huge um, relationship person. I'm an extrovert. I, I want everybody to be my friend, honestly. And when I got here to New Hope on day one, I walked in and I knew I had a mission that I wanted to find a group. I wanted to find my people um, because I had just moved here from Chattanooga and I was there for several years, but I never really got plugged in. I had some friends, but I didn't get plugged into a church body and I knew I was missing that. So um, I walked up to somebody, I went to a Sunday school class, it was so random, I had no idea what I was doing. Walked up to somebody and then I said, hey, um, I need like a Bible study. I need like a group. And she said, well, I know just the person. And she took me by the hand and um, walked me through the sanctuary to the very front. And Beth Candler was on the front row. And she said, you need to meet Beth. She leads a grow group. And so we met. And she told me all about it. And I was there that week um, in Bible study. And um, I knew I was hungry for it. But I love small group settings. I love Bible studies and grow groups, whatever you call them, um, because that's where I really just get encouraged and where I get challenged. And there are so many times when, um, you know, our, our walk with the Lord has its ups and downs. And so there are times when I'm on fire and I'm having a great personal time with the Lord on my own. And then there are times when, you know, things get pretty mundane or maybe I get pretty lax. And so um, I find that when I'm in a small group setting, that's when I get excited again. Uh, when people are bringing forth, you know, um, ideas and shedding light on the word, and I want to go back home and dig in. And so I really, really love community in that setting. Um, and beyond growing, another thing that I love about 
the relationships that you get in groups like that is that it's really challenged me to serve. So for five years, my husband, John, and I um, served with the bridge ministry with the kids, and um, we did that together. How much easier is it to serve when there's already an organization, already, you know, some kind of foundation, right, for reaching out to the homeless instead of just me going by myself and trying to find a homeless person? Um, and then even if it wasn't that organized, um, my, my group of friends, we were, were all about outreach. And so we would get these harebrained ideas like, let's canvas this neighborhood and see how many people we can invite to New Hope. You know, let's, uh, let's find this one community and let's knock on doors and see if these kids want us to buy them some shoes for back to school. You know, let's hand out quarters at the laundromat. You know, let's give gifts to women who are working on Christmas Eve. And then sometimes it was even just like a couple friends. I'm like, hey, let's go to the grocery store and give out gift cards. So I find that there's this holy boldness and this enthusiasm and energy that I get when I'm doing things in community because every now and then I do things on my own. Like sometimes I pat myself on the back and I'm like, yay me, I, you know, I said something nice, I shared about the gospel or I did something kind for somebody on my own. But I feel like, um, you know, that is so much more multiplied when I'm doing it in community. Mm -hmm. that's so that's right. what I love about it. It's great. So I know you had a, uh, an interesting Halloween, uh, had a little incident that happened, and i uh, just like you to maybe share about that and just how, that, uh, how community helped you practically through that. Yeah, so I have a four-year-old energetic wild boy, and he's all over the place all the time. Um, and so he climbed up on my kitchen counter the night before Halloween to get something in the cabinet. And he pushed over this huge package that had come in the mail. It slid onto our stove. And it was such a big package that it turned the knob to high. And then he ran upstairs where I was, where I'd just gone out of the shower. And um, unbeknownst to us, you know, it was simmering on the stovetop. And we didn't really know anything had happened until the smoke alarm was went off and it was loud and we start running. And when I get downstairs to my kitchen, it, it, there's flames. So, I was shook up. I mean, we, we ran outside, we went called for help. We really, we really ran outside barefoot. We had nothing with us in our hands. And, um, and I lost my, my kitchen. Thank God the, the flames really were contained to the kitchen. And that's what it looked like right after, but that whole kitchen, even the sheetrock, everything's gutted. The, the soot and the smoke damage is unreal. I really had no concept of what it meant when people said there was smoke damage in the house but there's this layer of soot that just covered everything, upstairs and downstairs, anything that was not like put away. And um, it covered it so bad. I mean, that, that soot is really acidic. It eats away at your computers. It eats away at your technology. When you try to wipe it, it smears, so it's really not something that you can clean very easily. And so I just found myself on the night before Halloween, and this was the night that New Hope was doing its trick-or-treat um, event at church, we, it just happened, and um, I, we kind of get ourselves together, the fire's put out, and when I decide, well, I, I should take blue. I mean, we've been talking all week about going to church, so I should take blue to New Hope. And so I get on campus, and I think I'm good, and as soon as I get out of the car, I knew that as soon as someone said, hey, how are you, I was going to lose it. And I walk up to the registration tent, and Carmen Davis greets me, and I just boo-hoo. I'm like, oh, she's like, what's wrong? So she's hugging me and she was wonderful because I forgot that about a decade ago, they had gone through a house fire and they lost everything. And so I'm here and I can't get it together. And I'm so grateful for community because at every step and every turn, I mean, she took Blue by the hand and took them around to the tables and they got candy and I'm sitting on the sidewalk crying. And I have people praying for me. And then even um, insurance, we've got great insurance. And it could take care of us. John said, I'll go get us a hotel. And a friend, Tanya Pope, said, well, you can stay with us if you want. And I just thought, right now, I just want comfort. I, I know I can go to a hotel room. So for two nights, we're at Tanya's house. And, you know, a house gives you something a hotel room doesn't. There's, there's food and there's, <laughs> you know, blankets and all the things that you trust. And, um, and then we were able to do some laundry, and then she cooked us dinner before we left and went into the hotel room. And then, and then it was all the little things. So many of you have been amazing. I've had so many people say, how can I help? 
And sometimes I'm like, I think we're good. And then sometimes I'm very specific in my ask um, because I'm like, I know people don't know what to do. And so just the little things, I mean, we asked um, some friends over here, like, can we have some luggage, you know, so we can pack up a little bit here. And they took Blue the next night and had him for a few hours while he trick-or-treated. And then I've had other people drop off paper towels and hand wipes and somebody else brought us a meal. And then, you know, we, we have to go to school on Monday and I realize I need a lunch box, I need a sleeping bag so like the little one can take nap. And so I'm thinking like, who, who's from New Hope who lives closest to my, my school? And I call another friend and she gives me hot coffee and some lunch boxes and then she gives me some toys so that Blue has something to play with when we come home to this hotel. Um, for hours and hours and so it just it didn't it didn't stop I mean uh, it was it's really overwhelming and beautiful and 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 some of the things it's so funny because some of the things they're just so little but they mean so much to me you know the church had said well what you know anything you need let us know and I think like the next day I was like um I know y'all are busy but I'm gonna need something and so they're like anything anything you need so we end up at Cracker Barrel with Joy and Jessica Siegler and Tanya and I was like we have to pick out cabinets and flooring and paint colors because uh, that's important and I'm stressing out so just everybody was so amazingly helpful and again like I said insurance took care of our needs like we really want for nothing but um, my community has really cared for our heart. I mean, it's yeah. really given us the comfort and the care that insurance can't give you. Um, you know, many, many of you know Tess Thompson, and she was one of those, who, what can I do to help? And by then, you know, we've moved into a rental house, and I'm like, you know, I don't need anything. But now this is where I just tell people what I want. That's what community's for, right? So I was like, I need some Filipino egg rolls like some lumpia and some noodles and like, I'm going to need that. So <laughs> we did that the other week. And so I'm just so incredibly thankful this Thanksgiving for, I think, um, the relationships that I have right here. Yeah, that's really beautiful. So, yeah, praise God. So one final question. So what would you say to the skeptic that is um, hard for them to really connect and be engaged and give into community because of, maybe past hurts or maybe just a general distrust of people. Okay, so I am that skeptic too, all in the same breath. Like, I love people, but I also had walls. And it's one of the things that I've dealt with my whole life is just trusting, trusting God and trusting others. And, and I think it's a natural instinct, right? Like when you're disappointed or let down or hurt, you, you know, I would throw up these walls. I remember thinking, you know, I'm never gonna trust after a situation happened. And then something else happened. I was like, no more, it's just me. Like, you know, this was 20 years ago and independent woman, like that was the thing and it, rely on myself. And, um, and then yet in my quiet time, the Lord really was dealing with me because I knew I was having a hard time trusting him. And he told me, you know, Jessica, until you can learn to trust some people, you're gonna have a hard time trusting me. And so he's been working on me with that. And, and honestly, I feel like um, I'm in a completely different place today, and it all happened here at New Hope. I've been here for 13 years, and when I came, um, a verse that became near and dear to my heart was Psalms 37, 3 through 7, and I actually wrote it out. I put it um, on my nightstand, and every morning I would read it, and when I first started reading it, I was like, you know, trust the Lord. You know, I, I didn't feel it, but I said, oh, I'm just going to say it every day. And I remember one morning waking up and I was saying it and I was like, oh yeah, I believe this. Like I trust the Lord. And, and so the scripture, um, I like to take verses and I put it in first person and I make it a declarative, a declarative statement for my life. And it's, I trust in the Lord and do good. I dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. I delight myself in the Lord and he gives me the desires of my heart. I commit my way to Yahweh. I trust in him. And this is what he does. He makes my righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of my cause like the noonday sun. I am still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I do not fret. And I would just say that um, I feel that the Lord has been incredibly kind to me this past month. It's been a crazy, hectic month between COVID, elections, my job, and fires, and moving, and all the, all the things. Um, but I feel that 
I know the kindness of God, and it's because I am in community, and I know the kindness of the people who are around me. So Amen. it's been incredible. Amen. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jesse. Give her a hand. It's beautiful. She's got a little preacher in her there. It's good stuff. You know, what, what I would say to that is, is that she was able to see the faith of our community. Their, their faith in action. You know, Jesus said in that, in that verse 20, it says that he saw their faith. And you might say, well, how does Jesus or how does anybody see my faith? And I would say, I, I think it should be evident for all of us because God should see your faith. Others should see your faith. Faith starts on the inside, but it has an expression. The things we do show people what we actually believe. Jesus saw their faith. You know how he saw their faith? Because he knew the house was packed full of people, and he knew that the ceiling was going away all of a sudden, and that there was this dude dropped down in front of him. He's like, that's faith. He saw their faith, and he responded to it. So people should actually be able to see our faith. And if they do, it will draw people to community. James said in James 2.18, he says, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. I'll show you my faith so you can see it. If he's showing us something, it's something that we can actually see. It's the things we do that prove our faith. Peter said in 1 Peter 2.12, he said, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds, they may see your faith, and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So what we believe should be expressed in how we respond to people in moments of need. Right? It's not enough to just say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. James tells us that the demons believe in Jesus too, and they shudder. But if we really believe in him, our actions will follow. Which leads me to my third and final point, and I will finish here in a minute. The third thing that we get from community is shared freedom. We get shared freedom, communal freedom. And I'll explain this too. You know, Jesus set this man free in two ways. First, he set him free from his spiritual bondage. He said, your sins are forgiven. Then he set him free from his visible bondage, which was his crippled legs. He was healed in two ways. And it's interesting that Jesus healed him spiritually first, isn't it? I, I think Jesus would, was specific in how he did that, and he was intentional in how he did that, because what good is it to heal somebody's legs if those legs are just going to take them to hell, Right? You want to have your spiritual healing. It's much more important, even though it's not necessarily as visible. And in verse 26, it says that everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. We have seen remarkable things today. You see how they got excited about the fact that this man was healed? The community got excited. Their faith was stoked when they saw God's faithfulness in this guy's life. It was a shared freedom. You know, Paul said in Romans 12 that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. And that's not just some command from Paul to say like, hey, you need to be nice Christians. And when somebody has a good thing, you need to be excited for them too. It's not what he's saying. He's saying we rejoice when people rejoice because we get to share in it. He's actually saying we get to share in those blessings when someone gets healed or set free or delivered in our midst in the time that we get to witness it and be part of it, it stokes our faith. It's, it stirs us up. And we get to share in the freedom that other people have. God wants to give us freedom, but he wants to give it to all of us together. And don't think for a second that the faith of the people in that room, in that house, did not grow in that moment. Because it did. It stirred them up. It said, everybody said, we have seen remarkable things today. We are part of a body, and when one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. When one part of the body is healed, we all rejoice. You know, just, just bring it home with your personal body. If you got a toothache, your whole body ain't doing good. It, it affects everything, doesn't it? And man, your whole body rejoices when you get some Novocaine in that tooth. Not during it, because the needle stinks, but the rest... Once the medicine kicks in, the whole body's all of a sudden good. Except for the fact that you know a dentist is going to stick his hand in your mouth and probably hurt you more. But that doesn't, that's not important right now. The fact of the matter is we rejoice when others rejoice. And here's the thing, church, and I'll finish with this. Someone else brought a person to Jesus in the scriptures. And it's in John 8. 
And this is where Jesus was actually sitting in the temple courts. He was, it was uh, teaching people. And here come the Pharisees, the religious folk, with a woman that was caught in adultery. And they brought her, and they put her in front of Jesus too. But their intentions were a little different than the four guys that brought the paralytic and put him in front of Jesus. They were looking for healing for their friend. Pharisees were looking for judgment for this woman. They put her in front of Jesus, and they said, the Moses, Moses' law that he gave us says that this woman has to be stoned to death. And he said, well, what do you say, Jesus? And they were looking for a way to accuse Jesus. They wanted to see how he responded. Most of you know this story. What does Jesus do? He stoops down, he starts writing in the dirt with his finger. We don't know what he wrote. Nobody knows. But he starts writing, and it says that the men still kept questioning him, like, hey, what are you going to do? So he stood up, and he stepped back, and he just said, okay, any of you without sin, you get to throw the first stone. And it says that he bent down again and started writing in the dirt. Whatever he was writing in the dirt, let those guys know that they could not throw a stone because it says that they started walking away from the oldest all the way to the youngest until only Jesus and the woman were left standing there. And then in, verse, uh, in John 8, verse 10, it, t- it says what, what happened then. It says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. This is so cool because Jesus set this woman free from two things as well. He set her free spiritually. He said, go, leave your life of sin. Might as well have said, I'm forgiving you of your sin. Now leave that life and go live for me. Same thing as what he said to the man on the mat. Your sins are forgiven. And he also set her free from a physical bondage. Just like he did the paralytic, he healed his legs. With her, he set her free from the, from the religious people that wanted to kill her. So he did the same thing for this woman as he did for the man on the mat. Even though she was brought with a different intention. You know what this tells me? We just need to get in front of Jesus. Because Jesus isn't going to condemn us. He's not going to throw a stone at us. He's not going to put his finger in our face and tell us how horrible a Christian we are. There's nothing in our life that should keep us from getting in front of Jesus. There's nothing that should make us scared to come to Jesus. You know, the enemy wants you to be scared to come to him. He wants you to be beat down and think, you know what, you're, you're too far gone. Jesus doesn't have anything for you. You know, it, but the, the enemy never brings us and puts us in front of Jesus like he did through those Pharisees there because the enemy learned his lesson in John 8. If I bring somebody in front of Jesus, try to get them condemned, all I'm going to do is get them saved. And I sure don't want that. So he's learned his lesson. But our flesh, even other people, will cause us to not get in front of Jesus because we have our own idea of how he's going to respond. And what we see in this scripture, in both of these passages, what we see is that Jesus is full of grace. He is full of mercy and he is full of miracle working power in our lives. If he has to deliver you from a physical ailment or an emotional ailment or a relationship ailment or a financial ailment, he has miracles in the palm of his hand. And we just got to get in front of him. Sometimes we can do it on our own. Sometimes we need somebody to take us there. And sometimes you may need to be the person that takes somebody there to get that, what they need from Jesus. But man, community is where it's at, church. Community is where it's, we are not meant to do this alone. These two stories would not have happened the way they did without community and without Jesus. So we need community and we need Jesus. Not in that order. We need it the other way around. Amen? Would you stand with me today as I, as I close for us? I want to pray for us. I want to ask you today, does anything have you paralyzed today? Does anything have you disabled, unable to get to Jesus? Is there anxiety or fear or some sin in your life that you just feel like, I can't even take this to Jesus. I can tell you no matter what it is, if we get in front of him, there's freedom. He is, your heavenly father wants you to be free more than you want to be free. That's what he, that's what he did. Galatians 5.1 tells us that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. The reason he set us free was just for freedom's sake, because it's that good. It's that good, no matter what we did. He loves us. And if, if you are somebody that's here today that's never given your heart to Jesus, please, I, I, I plead with you, do not leave this place today without giving him your heart. There's no great formula. You just have to know that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross to forgive you of your sins, that he rose again after three days and he ascended and, and sits at the right hand of the father. And that if you trust him for your forgiveness, if you give your life to him, he comes and dwells in you. And he writes your name in his little book. And when you die, you get to go be with him for eternity.
It's the greatest decision you'll ever make. So don't leave today without doing it. I don't have anything to gain from you getting saved other than I'll just rejoice with you. You get to join the club, and it's a huge club, and it's growing. It's a beautiful club. And it's full of a bunch of people that are trying to figure it out. None of us are perfect and have it all together. Not a single one of us. So, But I want to pray for all of us today. If, if you, what you see, what you get from community is divine friction. You get shared faith, borrowed faith, and you get shared freedom. I want you to experience those things in community. If, if, you're, if you've been resistant, you've been like Jess here that said, you know, she would keep walls up, keep people at a distance because it was hard to trust. You're not just trusting people, you're actually trusting the Lord in people. I tell that, Joy and I talk about that all the time. Like, the reason I trust her so much is because I know she loves Jesus. We're humans, we're not perfect. But man, when I see somebody's relationship with Jesus, that, that lets me trust them more because I know that if they venture out, God's gonna convict them. So we can trust each other too, we have to. We can't live this life on our own. So let's pray. I just wanna encourage you to respond. I think it's important that we respond. We can't come to the altar, but you can lift your hands, you can bow your head, you can close your eyes, you can kneel. Let's just receive this prayer. Open your heart to receive it. Father God, we thank you today. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that when we get in front of you, that good things happen. Only good things. God, you are so good and so faithful. I thank you, Lord, that you don't judge us, but that because of what you did for us, your grace is sufficient. Your grace will never run out. Father, I pray you help us to receive that grace today, Lord. If there's anything that's keeping us from getting in front of you today, God, I pray that you would expose it for what it is, that it is a lie, because there is nothing in this world that can keep us from you, except ourselves. And Lord, we want to get out of the way. We submit ourselves to you today. Lord, we repent of any sin in our life that have kept us from getting close to you, that we believe the lie of the enemy, that you don't want anything to do with us or anything to do with this issue in our life because we're not good enough. Lord, we come against that lie today in Jesus' name. And we thank you that there is nothing that can keep us from you, Lord. There's nothing that can separate us from you and that you are always there and you are always bidding us to come near. That when we come near to you, you will come near to us. So God, we give ourselves to you today. Lord, I pray for everyone in here that's struggling to be given to community, that you would just reveal your truth to their heart. I pray, Father, that we would connect, Lord. This is not some ploy to grow our church or to grow our connect groups or to grow our serve teams. This is a ploy to grow the kingdom. And I pray that you would let us all play our part in growing your kingdom, Father God. Thank you for the beautiful responsibility of being your children and being your vessels being your conduit that you can use to pour into that we can pour into others. Father, we love you. I pray a hedge of thorns around each one of our hearts today that when we leave today that this would not go away but that it would produce fruit in our lives for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we give God praise one more time? Thank you, Lord.